Hello, and welcome to the Entertaining Abstracts podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got some very interesting articles for you guys today. Let's start it off with one by Sarah Jackson. It's called, An Illinois Couple Found Half-Eaten, Very Well-Preserved McDonald's Fries from the 1950s Inside a Bathroom Wall While Renovating Their Home. Rob and Grace Jones were renovating their home last month when they found a bundled up towel in their bathroom wall. They feared the worst, immediately thinking they just unearthed the body. We were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be unveiling a cold case here, Grace told NBC News. I was shielding my kids in case there was any dried blood. To their immense relief, it wasn't a body. Their discovery turned out to be a McDonald's order that stood the test of time. A half-eaten order of french fries alongside two burger wrappers that appear to be from the late 1950s or early 1960s, suggesting the food sat there for decades. Not a cold case, just some cold fries, Grace told NBC. They were very well preserved. The burger packaging bears an image of Speedy, McDonald's mascot before the now iconic Ronald McDonald, and is soaked in grease in many parts. The fries, meanwhile, were crispy and brown. We saw the fries and were like, that is unreal. How on earth are these fries still in this bag and how are they preserved so well? It was wild, Grace told CNN. Rob was removing a built-in toilet paper holder in the bathroom when he first spotted the cloth. We just kind of assumed whoever was building the house probably went there for lunch and it fell in there and they did it on purpose, Rob told the Today Show. For now, the couple is holding on to their decades-old treasure, but they're open to selling it, they told CNN. We're happy to sell it, or if not, we'll probably keep it as a cool piece of history, Grace said. Very interesting indeed. Next article. Creepy dolls keep washing up on this stretch on the Texas coastline. A lot of nightmares? This is by Mitchell Willits. The dolls keep arriving month after month, year after year. Where they come from is a mystery, but the waves bring them in and lay them on the Texas sand where Mission Aransas Reserve researchers find them. Were they lost or were they discarded? And how long ago? The ocean takes its toll, covering their beady eyes with barnacles and stealing their plastic limbs, staining their hair green with algae. These dolls are creepy, Jace Tunnel says, and they won't stop showing up. Tunnel is the director of the Mission Aransas Reserve at the University of Texas Marine Science Institute. The reserve, about 30 miles northeast of Corpus Christi, serves as a marine research and education program. Situated on the Gulf Coast, Tunnel and his colleagues regularly survey a roughly 40-mile stretch of beach running from North Padre Island up to Matagorda Island in an area the dolls seem to be drawn to. We're actually doing scientific work, but the dolls are a perk, Tunnel told McClatchy News in a phone interview. Often researchers are surveying the coast for sea turtles, marine animals, and endangered bird species. They comb the 40-mile span twice a week, coming across all kinds of debris in the process. Every day is something new, Tunnel said. Just when you think you've found everything that could possibly wash up on shore, something else comes up. Much of it is junk, some of it's interesting. The dolls occupy a category of their own, and Tunnel tries to document each of the eerie castaways on social media when they're found. The creepiest ones are the ones that have lost all their hair, Tunnel said, though each one of the 30 dolls collected since he began keeping count have been disturbing in their own way. The first one we found was a sex doll, the head of it. I posted a picture of it and I didn't realize what it was, he said. We got a lot of followers on the page after that. 
Someone purchased the doll head for $35 and Mission Aransas gave the money to a sea turtle rescue program. A surprising number of people want the dolls, offering to take them or buy them, Tunnel said. What are they doing with these things, he wonders. Those who keep up with Tunnel's weekly debris updates seem to like the dolls. Most aren't eager to buy one or take one home, but they follow along, seemingly fascinated and unnerved by the lost and forgotten toys. Always creeps me out. At least this one has a body, a commenter said about a recent discovery posted April 22nd. She has pretty eyes for a change, wrote another. The baby doll is missing both arms and something appears to have chewed on its left leg. This one looks happy to be found, not like some of the others, a comment read. Post after post, people kept wondering the same thing. Why are so many dolls washing up on this specific beach? Is this coastline cursed? Probably not, but it's a bit unlucky. Through a two-year study conducted by the UT Marine Science Institute, of which Mission Aransas is a part, researchers learned that the Texas Coastal Bend region is a junk magnet. Texas Coastal Bend beaches get 10 times the amount of trash than any other beach in the Gulf of Mexico, Tunnel said, compared to what researchers in Florida and Mississippi found after conducting identical projects. This is due in large part to the loop current reaching from the Yucatan Peninsula to Florida. This current creates eddies that push debris toward the Texas Gulf and Coastal Bend in particular. There's a lot of nightmares out there in the debris tunnel said. More Barbies and Cabbage Patch Kids and so on. Odds are good they'll keep making their way to Texas. Tunnel doesn't keep any of the eerie toys, he said. He just tosses them in a bucket to be sold at a yearly fundraising auction. They could definitely be haunted, he says. Wow, maybe. Next article. Biggest earthquake in human history caused a 5,000 mile long mega tsunami that sent massive waves crashing from Chile to New Zealand, study finds. This article is by Joshua Zitzer. According to a new study, archaeologists have found evidence of the largest earthquake in human history, which allegedly caused a 5,000 mile long mega tsunami that devastated coastlines for a millennium. Life Science reported, a 9.5 magnitude earthquake struck about 3,800 years ago in northern Chile, the study in the Science Advances Journal determined. The study said it was a megathrust earthquake, which is when one tectonic plate is forced under another. These earthquakes often cause tsunamis more destructive than earthquakes themselves. The earthquake led to an extremely powerful tsunami that created waves 66 feet high and stretched from northern Chile to New Zealand, the study said. The tsunami sent car-sized boulders crashing up to 620 miles inland, according to a statement by the University of Southampton, making nearby coastlines uninhabitable for 1,000 years. Archaeologists found evidence of marine sediments very high up and a long way inland, said the University of Southampton's professor James Goff for the statement, so it could not have been a storm that put them there, he said. Archaeologists also excavated ancient stone structures by humans found underneath tsunami deposits on Chile's northern coastlines, Life Science reported. The structures were lying backwards, facing the sea, suggesting they had been toppled by the tsunami backwards. The local population there were left with nothing, Goff explained in the statement. Our archaeological work found that a huge social upheaval followed as communities moved inland beyond the reach of tsunamis, Goff continued. It was over 1,000 years before people returned to live on the coast again, which is an amazing length of time given that they relied on the sea for food. The study was able to conclude the tsunami reached Australasia, 
after Goff and his research team discovered a vast number of boulders, some the size of cars, way inland in New Zealand's Chatham Island. The boulders were dated back to around the same time as the earthquake, a study found. In New Zealand, we said these boulders could only have been moved by a tsunami from northern Chile and it would need to be something like a 9.5 magnitude earthquake to generate it, Goff said in a statement, and now we found it. Before this study, the largest earthquake ever recorded was in 1960. The Valdivia earthquake, which struck in southern Chile, was placed at between 9.4 and 9.6 magnitude. It caused a tsunami that reached Hawaii and resulted in up to 6,000 deaths. Wow, that's pretty scary. Next article. This one is called Incas Gave Children Selected for Ritual Sacrifice, the Ayahuasca Drug to Help Reduce Anxiety, scientists think. Inca children bound for ritual sacrifices were given the powerful Ayahuasca drug before their death, a new study found. The findings, published April 2nd in a peer-reviewed journal, are the first to link Ayahuasca to the Inca culture. The study of two child mummies suggests the Inca may have used the drug as an antidepressant rather than a hallucinogenic to make sure the children were happy as they were sent off to the gods. In the past, we didn't know if the Inca used the Ayahuasca. Now we see that they could have been aware that it's an antidepressant. Degmora Sosha, a bioarchaeologist from the Center of Andean Studies at the University of Warsaw and lead author of the study told Insider, In the past, we didn't even know if the Inca used the Ayahuasca. Now we see that they could have been aware that it's an antidepressant, Degmara Sosha, a bioarchaeologist from the Center of Andean Studies at the University of Warsaw and lead author of the study told Insider. From the 1400s to 1532, the Inca created the largest empire ever seen in South America, which at one point stretched from modern Ecuador to central Chile. The Incas were master builders known for their architecture and geometric designs, elaborate culture, costumes, and artwork. Religion empowered a single emperor, Sapa Inca, from the capital of Cusco. Based around the sun god Inti, the sacrifice of children and young women, a ceremony called Capacocha, was a central part of this religion. It was a momentous state ceremony undertaken only occasionally as required by special circumstances, such as the coronation or death of an Inca emperor, the birth of a royal son, or a great victory in battle, Tamara Bray, a professor of anthropology at Wayne State University who studies Inca culture, told Insider. According to written records kept by Spanish chroniclers, young women and children selected for their beauty or remarkable attributes were often sacrificed on mountaintops. The methods by which they were killed were brutal. They were strangled, sometimes buried alive, and left to freeze to death, Sosha said. Archaeological evidence suggests that the Inca's predecessors, the Hauri people, used ayahuasca for its hallucinogenic properties, Bray said. Although the Incas used cocoa leaves and corn beer called chicha in capacoches, there was no historical record showing that they used ayahuasca. Sosha says this could be because the Inca didn't have a known writing system. Records of the ceremony were kept by Spanish chroniclers who had to rely on second-hand accounts. Chronicles say that the priest was drinking and that they behaved weird after. We don't know if they were drinking alcohol or maybe they were drinking something else and just European culture didn't recognize it. To set out to understand whether the Incas used Ayahuasca during these ceremonies, Socha carried out a toxicological analysis on the soft tissues of the children killed in the Capacochas. 
She focused on the mummies of two children, a 15-year-old and a young child under the age of 10, found frozen in 1995 near the top of Amapota Mountain, a 20,630-foot-tall dormant volcano in the Andes Cordillera in southern Peru. The children were killed in separate Capacochas about 500 years ago. Although they've been remarkably well-preserved by the cold, the precious metal they were buried with and the high location of their burial suggests the youngest child's grave was hit by lightning. Luckily, some soft tissue survived. The study, a collaboration with the Universidad Carolica de Santa Maria, revealed a compound found in modern-day Ayahuasca called harmine. It's believed that last two weeks of their lives, the children chewed on cocoa leaves and drank a beverage made from the Ayahuasca. It's the first time I've seen archaeological evidence of the use of Ayahuasca among the Inca, Bray told Insider. The Ayahuasca's vine on its own is not massively hallucinogenic, Sosha said. The modern-day drug of the same name is mixed with another highly hallucinogenic component. In our study, we found only the harmine. We didn't find this hallucinogenic stuff, the strong one, said Sosha. It's possible that the hallucinogenic was given to the children but didn't show up in the analysis. The hallucinogenic component also causes violent vomiting, which the Incas may have chosen to exclude because for the children, this could end with death, especially when they were high in the mountains, she said. But for Sosha, it's more probable that the Incas purposefully used the drug used as antidepressants. Early research suggests that harmine could have antidepressant properties, Sosha said. The children were kind of the gifts for the gods, so they needed to be happy, pretty, well-dressed, and well-fed, she said. Very interesting. Next article. Thousands of scallops wash up on satellite beach, leading many to ask, what's happening? This article was by Jim Weimer. Countless calico scallops washed ashore, scattering a mystery over a mile-long stretch of satellite beach. Local beachgoers say they've never seen anything like it. While state biologists, as they investigated the matter, speculate wind and waves brought them in. Others aren't so sure. Our fish and wildlife health staff have samples and are currently investigating further, Carly Jones, a spokeswoman for the state's Fish and Wildlife Research Institute, said Friday. It is most likely that a combination of wind and or wave swells washed them ashore. Kevin Johnson, a professor of ocean engineering and marine sciences at the Florida Institute of Technology, doubts that's the case. Their typical habitat is about 30 or 40 meters deep, Johnson said on Friday. I don't think we've had winds that could do that without some help. I believe something weakened or killed them ahead of washing ashore. Johnson said the scallops are either alive or dying or freshly dead. The soft tissue between their shells was visible, he noted. That's their internal viscera, including foot, gills, abductor muscle, etc. So this does pose a bit of a mystery, a sudden mass death event, Johnson added. If we'd had an unusual storm with winds, rough waves, etc., then I would speculate they were just dislodged from their sandy subtidal habitat. But we haven't really had that type of a storm, and their habitat is usually 30 meters deep or more. While they have been commercially harvested in the past, calico scallops collapsed as a commercial concern four decades ago. Like so many fish and shellfish which have been over-harvested, it's hard to find very big ones anymore, Johnson said. If the dead and dying scallops were along 10 to 20 meters of the beach, Johnson said, he'd think it might have been someone caught them and poured them out nearby. But the larger expanse along the beach suggests some sort of natural phenomenon. Calico scallops are found throughout Florida's coast. If their plight is natural, something has weakened their ability to stay put on their home on the sandy seafloor, Johnson added. 
possibilities of why they washed up include disease, viral, bacterial, or fungal, temperature extremes, rapid changes in salt content in the ocean, and parasites, he added. According to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's website, infection by a parasite of the genus Martielia may have been responsible for a calico scallop population crash recorded off the Cape Canaveral along Florida's east coast in 1991. The parasite appears to infest the calico scallop's digestive gland to such an extent that they starve to death. Next article. Rarest of rare animals spotted in Texas desert. And this article is by David Stredge. The desert mule deer is a common sight in the Trans-Pecos region of West Texas, but when wildlife biologists conducted surveys recently, they came across an extremely uncommon sight. In fact, it was what they called the rarest of rare animals. What the Texas Parks and Wildlife Trans-Pecos Wildlife District spotted from a helicopter and captured in video was melanistic black hair mule deer fawn, a one in a million anomaly. This special deer appears all black except for quick flashes of white fur as it dashes away from the whirling helicopter, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram said. It stands in stark contrast to the older, larger mule deer running ahead of it, sporting the typical brown and white coloration. The video was posted on Facebook with credit to District 1 biologists Jay Eckert and Jay Weaver. Melanism is a rare, random genetic anomaly believed to be caused by mutations in the melacortin-1 receptor gene, the MC1R, which leads to an overproduction of the pigment melatonin, the TPWD stated on Facebook. It's difficult for biologists to quantify the number of mule deer that have this condition, but it's estimated to be about one in several million, making it even more rare than an albino, all-white or piebald, white-spotted mule deer, a one in a million anomaly. So essentially, this deer is pure black, and it's pretty amazing. We'll try to post some pictures of that on our Instagram account. Next article. Two people who use magic mushrooms then develop rare woodlover's paralysis describe losing control of their bodies. I couldn't even chew. Dr. Katherine Schuster-Bruce is the article's author. Some people say they've become temporarily paralyzed after eating certain magic mushrooms, an unproven risk that Oregon officials are taking seriously as the state becomes the first to legalize magic mushrooms for therapeutic use early next year. I couldn't even chew. I had to scrape a chip back out of my mouth with my hand, one user who experienced so-called woodlover's paralysis and asked to withhold their identity told Insider. Bob, another regular magic mushroom user who also asked to omit his last name because of the illegality of magic mushrooms in most places, told Insider he'd experienced woodlover's paralysis three times. On one occasion, Bob was crossing a street and without warning his legs collapsed beneath him, he said. I had no control over them. I couldn't even bend at the knees. I began to drag my body off the street with just my arms and the help of my friend, he said. WLP isn't a scientifically proven side effect of wood-grown mushrooms, but draft rules from the Oregon's Psilocybin Advisory Board, the expert panel guiding state decisions on how magic mushrooms are legally rolled out, hint that even the hypothetical risk could influence what Oregonians have access to in 2023. Oregon is likely to ban almost all magic mushroom species apart from one that's considered safe to avoid the theoretical risk of WLP. 
Jesse K. Ewing, a member of Oregon's Psilocybin Advisory Board, said accounts of WLP are not trivial and pose some very serious concerns. These people are being paralyzed in a field overnight because they're out for a walk and they lose the ability to use their legs, Ewing, a professor and research laboratory head at Oregon State University, told Insider. I personally would take Woodlover's paralysis pretty seriously until we know more about it, Ewing said. According to Dr. Simon Beck, a former psychiatry trainee who helped run a survey of 400 magic mushroom users in Australia to categorize the experience, said there had been hundreds of reports of people saying they've been unable to control parts of their body hours after taking magic mushrooms that tend to grow on wood. But he cautioned that we don't know exactly how often it occurs because there's no central database to report it. We still don't think it's all that common relative to how many people are actually out there picking and eating wood-loving mushrooms, especially in North America and Australia, he said. Examples of mushrooms associated with WLP include psilocybe osterizens found in the U.S., psilocybe cyanocens picked in Europe and Canada, and psilocybe subarugonosa from Australia. Not everyone who ingests a particular species or batch of mushrooms will experience WLP though, and we don't know how or why it happens. Beck said it's really difficult to convince people that WLP exists. All I'd say is that we've now heard very consistent reports, which all sound like a really consistent syndrome, he said. There haven't been reports of people needing hospital treatment or dying from not being able to breathe from WLP, according to Beck. But I do worry that if you were consuming another respiratory depressant and they had a bad enough episode of Woodlover's paralysis, that the possibility may exist, he said. About 40% of people in Beck's survey said they'd experienced WLP as a temporary weakness that got worse with movement and better with rest. About half reported altered sensations such as numbness or pins and needles, in addition to weak muscles, Beck said. Any effects were temporary, he said. Beck added WLP wasn't the result of being too intoxicated and feeling heavy or unable to coordinate movement. With the Woodlover's paralysis, it's true weakness, he said. You couldn't move even if you had to. Beck warned that the people surveyed reported accidents from WLP, such as falling off push bikes and near-missed car accidents, up to three days after the psychedelic effects had worn off. You're already quite sure that you're back to normal, he said, and then all of a sudden your arm gives out and you're trying to steer. Users told Insider there wasn't much they could do when it happened apart from resting and waiting for the effects to wear off, adding that it's best to take psychedelic mushrooms in a safe place. For instance, not near a road or with a sober person present. It's hard to give harm reduction advice for a syndrome that appears to come on randomly, Beck said. WLP does not warrant panic or fear in my eyes, but I think the cautious approach is sensible for a new system that's going to be looked at by the rest of the world as an example of how to do things safely, he said. Wow, that is fascinating indeed. And. One last article for this week. It's called Mysterious Mobile Home Found Abandoned on Kansas Dirt Road. Now people have questions. Caitlin Lanis is the author of this article. What was a mobile home doing in the middle of a dirt road in southeast Kansas? That's the question many were asking after the Labette County Sheriff's Office requested the public's help in identifying the owner of the abandoned mobile home and solving this mystery. The home was found on the south end of Labette County and a photo shows it abandoned on a gravel road. Authorities say a blue tractor was also found nearby. When someone replied to the sheriff's Facebook post suggesting maybe the owner had gone to get help around 1 p.m. April 6th, 
Officials said the home had been there overnight since about 5 p.m. the day before. Several shared their suspicions and comedic theories, though the following were not correct. Maybe they're on house arrest and needed to go somewhere, one person said. Probably saw what property taxes were going to be on it, another person replied. Dang, Kansas wins, another comment says. Picked it up and dropped it. Shortly after 6 p.m. April 6th, the sheriff's office thanked the public for their help and said they'd found the owner of the abandoned mobile home. No other details were shared on Facebook, sparking more questions. But why? Why was it abandoned, one person asked. We need a backstory here, lol. The public are invested in this and we need to know, said another user. Did they get the mobile home moved off the road to where it was headed to? Another asked on Facebook. Sheriff Darren Eichener told McClatchy News on April 7th that the trailer is owned by a man who was moving it to his home in Oklahoma when several of the tires blew out. He says the trailer has since been moved from the roadway to his residence and no other information was immediately available. Labette County is on the southern border of eastern Kansas, about 130 miles southeast of Wichita. Wow, that is pretty interesting indeed. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about today's show, you can shoot us an email. We're at entertainingabstracts at gmail.com. It's all spelled out. We will put the email address into the show notes today, along with all of the articles that we used for today's show. We also post occasional pictures of our stories on our Instagram. We're podcast.addict. That's at podcast.addict on Instagram. And please join us again next week when we talk more about entertaining abstracts. Thanks. Until next time, guys, stay safe.